There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's good, Internet? It's March 5th, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 472. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klapik. Hi. Renata Price. Howdy, gamers. Our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. Uh, so, we are all playing, uh, well, Ren at least, uh, <laughs> we are playing, and Patrick, you've also touched <laughs> touched uh, Weird West a little bit as well, but we're, we're both kind of into some... Uh, semi-roguelike, immersive simmy type game, or at least run-based uh, immersive mm-hmm. simmy, uh games. Uh, let's start off with Weird West a little bit, because we only touched on that briefly on, on Friday after Patrick and I had done a bit of streaming. Uh, but this morning, Ren was also telling me about a game uh, called Abermore, which seeing it immediately stoked all my enthusiasm and nostalgia. Uh, but I gather maybe I should hold my horses just a little bit. Um, so Patrick, did you also play a little bit of weird West or you only touched what we did on stream? No, I only touched what we did on the, I've heard that game has steam deck issues. Like it doesn't perform well. Uh, Like the game itself has like performance issues. So I, I ended up not getting time to spend with it this, this weekend. But I thought the most interesting thing about, um, the arc of our, our stream, which I think was like really fun. I think we came out of that going, oh, wow, this game that I thought might be kind of a quaint curiosity from some ex-Dishonored devs. Dang, like maybe they're really onto something here. Like this seems like a lot more than I had anticipated. And then you went off and played a couple more hours and your reaction to me was uh, when Patrick, when you weren't there to like goad me into doing like stupid shit or like doing (laughs) things for the stream to like, well, I would never do this if I was, this is my real playthrough. um, That it sounded like you were having less fun with it and i'm curious if that has changed in between then and now it it has it's, it's leveled off a bit i'm okay. I'm having more fun with it uh but i i do still think some of those issues persist uh to refresh people on it weird west is a game published by devolver developed by wolf eye studio uh you know publishers by... of the new monkey island game <laughs> Wait, what? uh and really? increasingly everything else um uh, uh, yeah no they're feel- doing a. there was announced today like uh uh Ron Gilbert made good on like a 15 year April Fool's joke that he said, I will announce that I'm making a new monkey Island on April Fool's and then did no one believed him. And then to as of recording this today, it was announced that Devolver is teaming with Lucas and Gilbert's studio to make a new monkey Island comes out later this year. That's a good wow. bet. That's it a good bet. Anyway, this was, this was led by Raph Colantonio's uh, studio Wolf Eye. Uh, Colin Antonio, yeah, was one of the leads on the Dishonored series, and the pitch for this was kind of it was a RPG, uh, immersive sim tactics game uh, to an extent. I think I saw somebody on Twitter talking about 
how in terms of pacing, this is actually really reminiscent of games like Fallout 2, uh, which I think is actually a really mm. good pull because my initial inclination was to connect it to games like, uh, you know, Commandos or um, God, what's that? Uh, Shadow Tactics, uh, games like that. But I think the pacing is just relaxed enough or if I may, may be feeling more pejorative, slack enough that the you know, big, sprawling, uh, slow-paced 90s RPG uh, comparison is maybe a little more apt than the sort of, uh, you know, third-person stealth tactics game uh, analogy. But Weird West, yeah, it, it is a game set in sort of a cosmic eldritch horror version of uh, the, the Wild West, and it is a place where magic is real and everyone basically knows this people know that like death is not an absolute condition uh in this world uh it's it's very like honestly it very much is if you can imagine like dishonored being like the old world if you imagined a like western frontier set in the same like universe it would probably feel a lot like weird west uh where everyone's just kind of coping with the fact that like they play it straight in a way that is both like uh, on its own naturally elicits a lot of really enjoyable humor. I think like someone noted in the chat when we first streamed, it was like, Oh, here's a newspaper clipping where they just say Eldritch. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just common language, baby. Like we, everyone just knows there are cosmic horrors behind, you know, every door. And that lends itself by playing it straight. Um, a lot of color uh, to the world that uh, I, I found very humorous um, and probably is like helpful for a game in terms of like, it's, it's it's a game that does not lack ambition, but you can you can make that mistake when you look at like an overhead game relative to, you know, a more like, you know, sprawling 3D first person game like Dishonored. I actually have a question. Uh, yeah. How much did either of y'all fuck with Wasteland 2 and 3, if at all? No, uh, didn't. OK, because whenever I look at this game, I, it's it's very easy to say getting big Wasteland vibes. But when you're talking about that, that Fallout 2 comparison, the only comparison I've been able to take into watching it is something like Wasteland 2 or 3, which are um, turn based, more character RPG style um, with like a tactics layer on top of them. Uh, games that released in the last few years as sequels to the original game Wasteland, which was a like fundamental inspiration for for Fallout. Uh, and whenever I see Weird West, I think of it as a more actiony uh, and more um, like you know your uh, isometric action style game uh, version of what Wasteland is doing, uh, and trying to kind of combine the active motion and like systemic clicking of immersive sims. Uh, with the like basic structure of a CRPG. Yeah, I would say so. From what I understand of like where Wasteland, particularly where that series ended up, because um, uh, Matthew Galt is a big proponent of that, uh, it does seem like Wasteland increasingly became interested in a really in broad like satire and metaphor. Yeah. Um, Weird West has a sense of humor for sure, but it's it's definitely trying to play it a little more straight. I think it's it's somewhere in the it in some ways it is somewhere between like uh maybe what i hear about wasteland 3 and uh like the old fallout games uh in in terms of in terms of tone um but yeah so like patrick and i had a had a fun stream with it where you know the game opens uh actually before the opening even your character is marked by 
a group, a, a coven, let us say, of like some kind of witches uh, and and sorcerers in some sort of like um, you know different plane of existence, and then she wakes up in the real world of Weird West, and her husband has been kidnapped and her child killed. Um, but crucially, and I'm not sure they they brought this through very well, Patrick, uh, in in the playthrough. Your character has no memory according to like what what is coming out in this game like you oh, of it, their family like you know yeah. you're supposed to, i know i'm supposed to love these people but what is that love <laughs> uh other people need to inform me right your character comes to after sort of being uh like literally branded uh mm. by these by these other beings and then you were launched on the trail of the of this gang uh that slaughtered your character's family even though you have no real memory of them um run Oh, I was just gonna say. So you're saying it's it's fine and normal and cool to sell your son's teddy bear after he, immediately after we he did gets fucking it. eager in front of you. I know you didn't. I know no, you didn't. But the game is smart enough. When you hit sell all junk, your wedding ring and your teddy bear are never sold. Oh, that's good. Despite being labeled as junk, and yeah, okay, which, that's, which, that's actually a smart call. Um, <laughs> because otherwise, boy, would you have some uh, game dissonance? Um, yeah, from selling. Well, it, was, your, it also was like an Ethan interface issue. Toy. Uh, we're like we, like Rob was trying to sell enough to buy some shit, and it's like, okay, well, we want to use the junk option, but I guess we can't use the junk option because we don't want this teddy bear to disappear <laughs> for like character reasons. And so that's actually really neat that the game acknowledges that that is probably. Uh, not it may feel like junk to you right now because you have no emotional connection to it but you intellectually i should not get rid of this teddy bear so the what patrick and i played were some opening uh missions like infiltrate a a camp uh being run by the by the stillwater gang uh this group of people have been abducting people uh out on uh, out in the weird west uh, as you go deeper into it, it definitely turns out hey, they're cannibals. I want to make sure like they're like this, they're they're eating these people. They're not just like taking them, like robbing them and like killing them. Like they're also s- slowly slicing off their flesh to con- to consume. Well, even that's so Pat, as I played more, even that's getting weird. It's it's I'm less certain. Are the Stillwaters a cannibal gang or are they just like procurement oh, really? contractors for the cannibals? Like this mm-hmm. is yeah. OK. All right. So that's as good. you go through, it turns into a chain of like, well, who's actually behind this? What's actually going on? Uh, and it is so you, you go from place to place on this overworld map and it's pretty dense. Like there's a lot of locations that are revealed to you over the course of the game. Uh Usually there's a plot thing going on there the first time you visit them, but uh, you will be given call to go back. Um, and in, in terms of the way like and this was kind of the pitch for the game, in addition to the fact that, you know, you can do all the, you know, Wild West gunslinger shit uh, that you're used to. Uh, you know, you got your your uh, Winchester lever action rifle, your revolver, etc. You can also get uh, both like. Try to remember the ter- the game's two terms of arts. Um, you have a care you you have a character specific uh, like move set basically that you get via uh, collecting relics on the map, and the aesthetics for all this are, are very dishonored, right? Mm-hmm. Like magic looks like dishonored yep. magic. The shit you find in the world that is like imbued with magical potential, straight out of like outsider relics in Dishonored. Uh, it's very much a game that stems from a 
you know, honestly, we fucking nailed it in Dishonored, so why? <laughs> no need to reconsider. Just put this shit in the West and call it a day. What are they, what's, what's <laughs> what are those developers going to do? Sue me? I help create Dishonored. Uh, and, and so what you get via that stuff is, uh, right now, for instance, my character has a, a weapon, uh, ability that is powered by, a via her magic, uh, for her rifle, where when you aim with the rifle and remember, this is all, yes, it's sort of, um, third person, uh, high angle camera, uh, you know, it's uh, it, what we might call like twin stick, but obviously you're playing with mouse and keyboard and I hear it actually is better with mouse and keyboard, but I've heard, but, I've heard the, uh, the gun stuff better with mouse and keyboard. The like finagling with the menu stuff clearly made for a gamepad, And then that's where like, that's <laughs> those a bad, two Hey, that's a bad combo. You, mm-hmm. th- hey, but it all, but also from what I've read is that like, it also means if you're playing a mouse and keyboard, like the difficulty is also clearly tuned for like the la- the, the lesser aiming you would have on a gamepad, whereas with a mouse and keyboard you're just going like ping ping oh, yeah. ping ping in a way that the game is not necessarily accounting for. Um, <laughs> that is or- that is one thing I meant to ask Rob about as having played further because I watched I was I was producing that stream. Yeah, that game seems real fucking easy. It seems kind of easy to just like brat your way through and absolutely not have to think about anything. Yeah. So the way they balance against that is bullet sponges i'm not sure it's a good solution but i went to this place where um you run to this corrupt uh like politician slash tycoon and my initial reaction was like this guy's got like a half dozen guards fuck this guy i'm just gonna like kill him and take a shit and like get what get what i need from this location and this time i open fire and my shots are taking like a pixel off their health bars at best. And it's like, okay, so now I literally cannot avoid enough incoming fire uh, to, to deal with these guys. We have to take a different, a different approach. And I think that is a, like this weird West right now feels to me like there's a whole lot of places where when you're not, when you haven't found like the more elegant, like either plot driven solution or more creative solution via your character abilities, the way the game lets you know that and kind of punishes you is you have a really boring combat encounter. Um, and I think that's, that is, that is kind of a weakness. I think Patrick, when I messaged you about it feeling way more slack, part of it was that was there were so many places I was going on little missions and I was like, I don't even know what, like, let's just move the plot along. I'm just going to like steamroll these guys and we'll move on to the next location. Cause there's just you thought not- about investing two upgrades into the jump ability though. Uh, I've started to because like they they've they've been put they they're putting things on rooftops. That okay, look so they're like okay. So to, to make it clear to people, so like in this game, there is a jump that you know on its face is used for like you know leaping over like a chasm or something, and then there are upgrades, two upgrades to the jump. And I remember asking in chat, like, does anyone have a sense of like what does that mean? Like, what is because it, it doesn't really demonstrate that in the UI. Like, if I was to invest in this, like, where does this? What does that mean? Is it just like because it does say like higher jump, less fall damage. It's like okay, like can I probably I could probably just deal with that though. And people are like, no, if you upgrade it twice, you can fucking scale to the top of a building and just like le- leap like you're Superman. And I was like, that sounds. If, if if it's a game in which the combat encounters on their own are not going to provide enough dynamic elements to make them all interesting, it seems like the game is then encouraging you to have builds 
that give you more options to do things on on your end. And maybe that's an issue if you have to bring that much to the table to make the combat interesting while you're waiting for the the plot to to do its thing. But um, that that did strike me as one of those like I could see myself in my playthrough just immediately uh, uh, like sprinting towards the jumps because that just seems like a very funny way to approach a bunch of encounters. Yeah, and I'm just not sure, like, I still have yet to find anything that really excites me about, like, how these, like, what possibilities these uh, abilities bring into the world. So, for instance, there's still so many encounters where it's like, the bandit camp is also a chemical weapons and TNT barrel depot. Right, because we built in these environmental systems that we need you to... Right. Have reasons to mess with all the time. Right. Like, it sure would be a shame if somebody, like, I don't know, shot that oil barrel and spilled the oil everywhere and then blew up the the lamp nearby and caused the entire thing to ignite. But in the time it takes me to do that, I could also just headshot everybody I'm trying (laughs) to kill. So, it like, the game does run into that problem. Now, against, like, tougher camps of enemies and such, now you do want to start uh, clearing it a little more easily. But, But even there... What t- tends to be more effective than a lot of your uh, a lot of your abilities is also doing the stealth, like creep up, choke someone out, hide them in a bush. Very, very dishonored. Uh, but here it just it, it doesn't it's it's not as tight. Right. And like I think one of the other things that dishonored is very good at is you always had the sense of in each in, in each location, each, in each encounter, there were so many cl- like clearly viable different approaches and tactics you could, you could take. And here, sometimes it doesn't feel like they are well thought out enough. Like, for instance, uh, and this is a spoiler for your first run of the game, your first character. It's something I was doing just before we we podcasted here. So there's a point where you get another lead uh, on where your your husband might be. You go to this town, and it's been taken over by the Stillwaters. Um, it's an unusual location because usually... Uh, ghost towns can be taken over by uh, bandits, but then they don't have any of the functions of a town. There's no like saloon where you can rest. There's no shopkeeps, etc. This one still has some of that, but basically the the Stillwaters are holed up. They've taken over the bank and they've used the the, the bank's architecture to make it sort of their fort. And you're given a few approaches. Uh, you can, for instance, poison the guard on the front door and get in that way, at least without starting a shootout. Uh, or you can do what I did, which was challenge somebody to a duel. And once you kill this like Stillwater duelist. You are now like seen as cool enough for the gang to like say, hey, why don't you come upstairs and like we'll recruit you. But then you go in there. And I try multiple times to like solve this. If you talk to the the gang leader, she knows who you are. So she'll get as far in the conversation of like, you want to join the gang? You're like, sure. And she's like, wait a second. You're the bounty hunter that's been after us. Uh, And immediately you're in the shootout. Hmm. Okay, so that's not going to work. Maybe I could have done something differently where like they wouldn't know I'm on the trail. I don't know. But like to me, it seems like uh, there's no way to sort of uh, like bald faced lie your way through this encounter. Mm -hmm. But I realized like she's got this weird like little like route she's walking in the upstairs of the bank so i just walked into her office while she was out of it picked the key up off the desk for the jail cell she's operating walk over release a couple npcs um and then again for reasons i can't quite parse she like locked onto me 
trying to initiate that plot conversation about like, hey, why don't you join the gang? <laughs> to the point where I'm like actively trying to avoid her. I'm like walking like outside around the town. She's like stalking me, but not not as hostile. She is just trying to offer me this job. Wherever she corners me, when we have a conversation, the same thing happens. All hell breaks loose. It took me so many tries to get out of this uh, thing without a gunfight starting. And the reason I really wanted to avoid a gunfight is because in the massive like townwide gunfight, a couple NPCs that I had been rescuing from that bank while I was also trying to gather this information, uh, they kept getting either killed in the crossfire or like a couple Stillwater guards would like lock onto them and like make a point of killing them so the rescue wouldn't wouldn't go through. Um, but the thing is they wouldn't run to safety. Like you'd release them and they just stay in like in their cell and not run off until the shooting started, at which point they'd run into gunfire and get killed. So that was disappointing. But then the other thing I ran into was in the gunfight, uh, as you go through towns, you see these characters with little like plus marks over them. Those are recruitable characters who you can get to join your join your posse, your squad. So these are different than the friends for life that you right. get for doing something nice for somebody. Yeah, the friends for life show up in fights as they get dicey, and they're like, "Hey, you remember when you <laughs> rescued me from the slavers? Bam! I heard you fucked that. Help. You you seem to have fucked this town up. I'm here to help." And it doesn't even fully make sense. Like you'll get like really like <laughs> like for instance, there's a really comfortable looking businessman you rescue from uh, Stillwaters at one point. Uh, it was in that mission that we did, Patrick, that guy who mm-hmm. was in the cage. But, like, you don't get the sense this is a hardened, like, killer. That guy keeps showing up randomly and being like, <laughs> I got your back, buddy. And it's like, shouldn't you be, like, at your office? Like, what are you <laughs> doing out here? I appreciate the help, but it doesn't really make sense that you're here. Um, but, no, the, these characters who were recruitable, one of them is in this town that's overrun by the Stillwaters. But, but they're a neutral. They're not a Stillwater, as far as I can tell. They're a recruitable character for your party. When the shooting starts... For whatever reason, they kept aggroing on my party and they would take this. They'd side up with the Stillwaters and there'd be a shootout. Eventually, they'd be killed. Every time that happened, I would get the notification, major crime witnessed. You committed murder. And now all the townsfolk are after me. And it's like, OK, so now I got to kill like now I got to kill a bunch of townsfolk, even though I'm here to like kind of help. And they're 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 upset about this this murder i committed because this guy like squ- like squatted up with the still waters doesn't make sense but i couldn't figure out the mechanism by which it was happening it, it, it felt this is kind of the, one of the tricks of the immersive sim right there are there are, a lot of times they are built on like causal relationships and like uh conditions that can be set to cause characters do this that or the other and when it works you're like Wow, like the story is happening in the world, like the characters doing mm-hmm. what makes sense, like it's it's all reflecting uh, the, the gameplay and the story reflecting uh, one another really well when it doesn't work. And a lot of times it doesn't work really well in, in Weird West. It is like you are dealing with kind of a misfiring uh, like Rube Goldberg device that, that's that's uh, that's not working well. It sounds to me like the, the game is filled with with mechanical systems which interlock with one another, but not the kinds of narrative design that makes that actually work 
in a way that is satisfying or is producing stories that you were interested in telling. Because it feels like a lot of the time when you have been describing this game, it's less, let me tell you about a thing that my character did or like a particular interaction. And it's always instead been like, let me tell you about an example of this mechanic happening. And that you can so clearly see those mechanics happening and the way that the system is interlocking feels like to some degree not a failure of immersive sim design, but like a sign to me that the interlocking of these systems is not actually complete. If you can look at the system and name it, I feel like that something is going wrong to some degree. Yeah, like I I think that's definitely a major part of it where like there's gaps in the way the systems are interacting. There's there's things that are supposed to be bridging action reaction that just don't seem to be there. And I keep getting stuck on it where it's like, something should explain why this is happening and it should, and it should also spark something ideally, right? Where it's like, ah, I realize now maybe I could have done this differently. That isn't happening. Most of the time it's like, I don't know why this is happening. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense in the scenario that's painted out. I don't know why this character is turning hostile and I don't know why like the townsfolk regard, like clearly it's because the game, like once a named character, a recruitable character gets like murked in a town, that's a crime. Yeah, that seems to be what's happening. But in this case, the context should trump that. And it's not. Yeah, I think that I think that part of what you're describing, it sounds like there aren't enough exceptions to the rules. And the rules are are functioning so mechanically that you can see, like, like when you're talking about, for example, this this businessman showing up and helping you in all of these gunfights, right? I think that like part of, of strong immersive sim design is realizing that like sometimes you have to make exceptions to the mechanics to make moments that are interesting or like feel resonant in that way. Like you have to be able to mark that character as an exception or, you know, a particular social situation like an NPC is getting stuck on something or like one of the rules. When the rules break, that is when these games are at their most interesting or, you know, you have like moments that create an opportunity for really good storytelling is when these systems are intentionally warped by the narrative to push things in a certain direction. And it sounds like that is not happening here. Kind of sounds like maybe this game should have been a little more like scripted and straightforward and actually would have leaned into the things that you do like about the game, Rob. Like, it's, I just feel like the immersive sim parts of it seem like the least interesting parts of the game so far. And I don't consider like shooting a barrel with chemicals to be like like the immersive sim part. That's just, you know, like those are things just in the environment interacting with one another. Like, I just wonder if like it was just more like, hey, cute, cute aesthetic, fun powers, neat world you know here's five right there's like five different like campaign like mini campaigns you're playing yeah. i've heard you can like recruit you can you can then recruit the character you finished from the previous campaign into the new campaign and they can die which is which is cool um it just increasingly seems like that's the most interesting part about it like yes it is funny that you know the first verb the game almost gives you is a shovel that you can dig a grave for and then like we realized the game had scripted a sequence for you to like uh to bury your kid in like this very fancy nice like memorial like a testament to their life and then right next to it is a dog that was the family dog that was also murdered and you just you just bury it right next to the next to the corn because you hit the g button or whatever and it's like yeah okay they're buried no, like, that's a grave like, yeah uh and, and like that you know that is an element of like what we find interesting about these games like give people a bunch of tools and then being poking and prodding at the world to see what it does um, but it seems like specifically with the AI, you're finding a lot of the limitations there that I, I have to imagine that 
if I encountered that situation, my takeaway from that going forward would be, well, I'm just not okay. I guess this is the limits of what this, these systems are capable of. I'm probably just going to like try and hit these story beats and like lean into the parts that I am liking rather than trying to create my own stories in the world. Cause it just doesn't seem like maybe the game is capable of doing that as, as well. Yeah. And I, I also know that to the point about the shovel, um, there's also an, all, an awful lot of the game rewards you for checking every single searchable storage like unit in the game. <laughs> okay. But is that good? Is no. that like, do we like that? Do we like the fact that your character will be weaker because you didn't, after clearing through Bandit Camp, you did not open up every single barrel because one of them has like uh, one of the like perk cards in it or something like that. This is also a problem I've been having with Abermore uh, to some degree, which I can I can touch on in a sec. But like this is this is a really frustrating thing to hear about because it's like it, it misunderstands what the point of like scavenging for resources is in video games and like why that is an enjoyable process. Because when I think about a game like Stalker, for example, Stalker has a lot of resource scavenging. You have to pick over bodies at the end of a fight. Picking over bodies at the end of the fight where there's like four or five enemies is different from like moving through a place with like 20 fucking barrels and look checking in every barrel just in fucking case. And it and it makes up for that barrel checking process by giving you hints at where things are. You could check behind every corner and it's going to take you fucking forever. Or you could pick up the PDA on that particular body and see that someone has a note that they left their backpack in this part of the compound. Then you go there and you find it, right? It is that is the that is the story is you stumbling upon little bits of information that then point you and encourage that exploration as opposed ex, as opposed to exploring exploration by just giving you a bunch of shit to rifle through and being like, well, we're incentivizing you to rifle through the shit, so that's exploration, right? Yeah, that's and a lot of games have run up against that. And I think something that the PDA thing highlighting where good loot is, is one way like you can sort of speed up the like, look, the real the real valuables are here. And this is something that uh, I think Dishonored and Prey were actually pretty good at where it's like they they let you know that like, hey, behind this locked door is some really good stuff. Like, it's like, OK, you want to go in this like, look, if, if you don't want to actually exhaust everything, like like here are the relics in the environment. Mm-hmm. These are like sub objectives that are going to guide you. And then you'll run it. You'll do the looting along the way. And the game will then like you'll have that extra slack in in terms of like inventory and resources that naturally come from moving from a place from A to B. But it sounds like a lot of what's happening here is like, no, it's actually fun is like hitting, you know, search on every object in the environment and then realizing, oh, shit, they're like meaningful character upgrades just locked behind a random barrel is bad like that's not yeah. that's not the way that those systems should work and the the other thing is like i think dishonored was really good at the in in the in the course of exploration the environments were so dense with like uh you know well sketched moments or little bits of like world building information that usually you felt rewarded even for the scut work of going through every single room in the servants quarters of a mansion or something like you still found stuff there that was like meaningful and added to the world. I don't think weird West, like weird West has some like notes you'll find and such, but none of it, like none of it sort of sells the world or, or makes a moment the way, uh, you know, some of its, its predecessors, its, its predecessors did. And so I think it ends up, um, working against itself in that way too, where it's like, 
you know, you are you are incentivized to do a lot of really boring things uh, in this game uh, in between the moments of action, which is which is a bummer. Um, but like it, it sort of goes to show that even with a you know studio that seems to has the pedigree, knows what it's doing uh, in the genre, like these games are harder to make uh, than maybe it appears, right? Like it's it, it, like I can I can see how you end up thinking immersive sims can make can be so dense with like a location and can create so many like stories and moments in a given location. It's easy to think like, wow, that's kind of the secret to, uh, you know, via these mechanics, they can, they can imbue uh, a space or setting with a a ton more possibilities than necessarily, uh, you know, you would have just creating a linear, like critical path uh, through, through an area Um, that, that, that's a good pitch. It's, it's harder than it, appears to be uh ren i feel like you're running up against that a bit with with abermore so yeah abermore is a if we're if we've been using dishonored as a as a comparison point abermore also fits into that vein abermore is deeply obviously deeply inspired by thief and dishonored abermore is a first person uh stealth action game uh that takes place over the course of 18 days The game's basic pitch is that you are a person who has come into contact with an individual known as the Unhanged Man, who has magical powers uh, given to them by Lady Luck, Uh, and they then pass those powers on to you after being discovered by the king. Uh, You then take on the role of the Unhanged Man and spend 18 days prepping for the biggest heist of the century. It's a really cool pitch. Uh, Those 18 days are spent doing 18 smaller heists, each of which is basically getting you more and more prepared, getting you more kitted out, and expanding your abilities, and also building contacts, because you need people to help you with this heist in 18 days. And if you don't have people help you, you are not going to be able to pull this off. You need good co-conspirators. And so basically the game is the process of trying to assemble these co-conspirators by doing favors for people, and acquiring materials over the course of these of these weeks, right? It has a dishonored style power system uh, based on tarot cards, which personally I fucking love. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big like fan of tarot cards, both as like a like way of creating meaning in one's life, but also as a like aesthetic marker. Uh, I absolutely fucking adore them. Uh, and each tarot card basically gives your character a different Dishonored style power. And part of the cool thing mechanically is that you can only hold three at a time. And so you basically have to go into each level kidding yourself out and being like, okay, which three powers that I can each use one time do I want to use to navigate this particular space? And it's actually very well put together in 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 that regard there's your uh invisibility power there's a blink style power there is a um an ability that just turns enemies to stone there's an ability that lets you instantly unlock any kind of door um etc etc that are all really neat and like fun to use especially in conjunction with one another however these heists are marred by a ton of level design and technical issues that cannot be overstated. Um, so for example, when you are like going through a stairwell, when you're going through a stairwell, something happens with the game's geometry where you can often see when you're attempting one of these heists where you're breaking into a building, climbing on top of things, the climbing is very like mechanical in a way that is very satisfying. 
um, where Dishonored, you can like fall off of something or like jump wrong and not be able to like grab something correctly. In Abermore, you just look at a ledge and press a button and your character reaches for that specific ledge. And so you can be a lot more precise with your movement through a space, right? But uh, you can go in through a stairwell and then because of a geometry glitch, you can see through the floor of the floor that you're about to go to. And so you can see where every single servant or guard is placed in that entire area because they're just like, you can see them through the floor. You can see where every item is. You can see where all of the power boxes is that you have to disassemble to like turn off traps. And a lot of the like exploration is, is undercut by this, by this tech issue. And if it was just this one thing, I would say that like, oh, it's, they can patch it out. The game will be a lot in a lot better state afterwards. But there are also problems with fundamental level design and walking into a space. And so you're playing an immersive sim. You see a vent, right? What do you do? crawl in that shit. You're going to crawl in that shit. Damn yeah. right you will, Patrick. <laughs> so you turn into some mist and I'll just like go through it, not even open it, make no noise. Like, let's mm, go. That's an interesting option. Well, I lock picked my way in because boy, this game has a lot of lock picking. Um, and it's lock picking <laughs> mini game is it's it's a it's a fine lock picking mini game. It's it's but totally it's acceptable. Hmm? But it's a lot of lock picking mini game. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's also like not to talk about the mechanics of lock picking for a second. It's actually like a pretty good way to do a lock picking mini game where you're basically there's like a bar that fills up and you're trying to get to a specific point by making the bar go like, so you're like, oh, I'm going to make it go a quarter of the way this time and like a third of the way this time. So I'm avoiding all of the things that would like jam the lock. It's basically setting pins. It is actually doing like a pretty pretty good job of like getting away, getting across the way that you actually lock pick, but like setting pins in place and then like moving deeper in. Once you set the pins and getting the turn, it's, it's, it's cute. Uh, But boy, is there a fucking lot of it. And boy, do you have to craft a lot of lock picks so you lockpick your way into a vent, Patrick. Well, guess what? The second level of the vent also is locked. So you lockpick <laughs> your way through the second part of the vent, and okay. you get into this shaft that is basically like it's 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 the home's uh, internal like ventilation system. And you're in there, and you jump down to the next level below. And then you open up your inventory, and you do not have enough lockpicks to get through the two vents in front of you. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'll just climb out. No, no, no. Are they you locked You have again? dropped through a... F- yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. You've dropped oh, through a floor. I, okay, I thought you were going to leave and then have to like re-pick like, the locks of No, it's vents. worse. <laughs> because of a map glitch, the floor doesn't have a way to get back up to the previous level. Great. So you are stuck in this little hole with vents that you can't lockpick your way through, no way to get new lockpicks, and no movement tools to exit the situation. So you just close the video game and reload your save. <laughs> I, I, I do want... Um, so uh, this game rang a bell for me because I had marked it as a game I, and that I might want to write about, not because I had played it, but because of a series of tweets by... Um, yeah, the, uh, the, it's game director, um, Dan Pierce. And so uh, th- there's, uh, I'll, I'll link it in here. So yeah, please. All of you can I look at it, um, but I will just read it out. Um, if you click through, you'll see a couple extra ones. But this is from, from, from Dan Pierce. 
Admiral is out today. You might have noticed I've not really spoken about it much since it was announced. I'm proud of what we did with the resources we had, but it was also a very difficult project for us. I hope you'll be understanding if that makes it hard to talk about. One thing I do feel the need to be open about is that out of necessity, the same week the game was announced, most of us uh, started other jobs. This means we will not be able to support the game the way we think it deserves. I'm proud of everything who, uh, of everyone who developed the game. I do think it's sincerely interesting, weird, original little thing, and I hope some of you, some of it comes through. If you want to check it out, uh, then I think you should. Um, but I thought it was like an interesting way to talk about a game that you've just released, acknowledging mm-hmm. that it's deeply flawed and like acknowledging here, like the technical issues that you're having, they exist. Will they be fixed? Really sounds like probably not. Um, and I thought it was a, like a fascinating way for a developer to frame. Here's this thing we worked on. We're proud of what we, the bits that we're proud of. Like we're also probably proud of the bits that didn't work out as well. Um, it's here. Like it's just unusual for a developer to talk about something they've just hit publish on in this way that I found was refreshing, probably not great for their sales, uh, but um, was nonetheless like a really interesting way to talk about like a creative endeavor as you reach what kind of seems like the end state as opposed to how a lot of games are developed these days where in many ways you may not be early access, but you can expect that there will be polishing and tweaking and updates done um, that weren't able to get finished before the game was like quote unquote done um, or in response to uh, what players encounter once it's out in, in the world. And so um, given you, you, that, like as soon as you mentioned that one detail about the floor, I was like, oh, maybe this is the time to talk about these tweets. Cause like I, all I've been able to do is to think about them um, ever since you started discussing the technical issues. So, and I, and I think that like this game has to be especially difficult to deal with. And you know, the phrasing here, it's, it was a difficult project for us. I think that's completely understandable because of the like incredible difficulty of immersive sim design. There is a quote from, I believe it's Warren Spector, uh, about the original Deus Ex, where he's talking about what state the original Deus Ex was in two months before release. Two months before the release of the original Deus Ex, they had uh, family members and friends come in and play the game. And all of those people looked at them and said, this is bad. This is this is not this is not good. This is this is not working. And then in those two months, they tweaked like two. They tweaked a handful of systems, and suddenly the immersive thing, the, the immersive sim thing, clicked. They restructured the narrative of the game. They like changed the order of the levels, and they changed a couple of systems. And like that, it clicked into a classic because immersive sim design is so complicated. And so multi-layered that basically you don't know what you have until it's all together. You don't know if the systems are going to talk to each other properly until they are all talking to each other all of the time. And so when I look at something like Abermore with the knowledge that like basically the people who were working on it were moving into these other projects as the game comes out, it becomes a really interesting example of this fact where every time I play it, I'm like, this game is so close to working so well and and being so interesting. And it is interesting irregardless of, or regardless, not irregardless, regardless of whether or not all of the technical issues are ever solved. It is an interesting artifact nonetheless, because it is doing such a good job of exemplifying the ways in which immersive sim design and why a lot of devs don't do immersive sims and the kind of the genre died out for a little bit there is because it's fucking hard. And it is a mode of production that is from what I understand, uh, there's a actually a really good H Bomber guy video talking about the production of Deus Ex Human Revolution and like the final state of that game. That actually makes the argument that like 
the modern structure of game design companies make immersive sims really fucking difficult to make because immersive sims require a lot of pivoting to make them work late in the project. And that is not what the industry is built for right now um, in a lot of very key ways because the amount of money in these productions means that it's very hard to let things go and and restructure things um, late in a project. And so Abermore comes to this like very, very odd and like, not disappointing place. I mean, it's disappointing insofar as like you can see the echoes of something so much more interesting. Not more more interesting. The interesting thing is here something so much more. complete. Very rarely do you see a game that you know is never going to be finished, published with a price tag, with strong designers behind it, and so clearly full of fundamentals. Um, And now knowing, because I did not see these tweets before I was picking up and playing through the game and was like doing like research, I'm sure I would have stumbled on these while researching the the piece that I'm writing about the game. And like, this is a huge bummer, uh, but also like a historically interesting one. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I find that's exactly the, the same reason why I thought about writing about it was just like, huh, like these are usually what you get at like a GDC postmortem or like, hey, can we talk about this game I made a year ago? Not um, that, that level of honesty, um, at least as long as you're not cynical about it and take it at face value. Like I thought it was was kind of fascinating. I'm always left kind of wondering, too, what's the story behind like knowing that this thing's kind of stillborn? Uh, this this like is it difficult project because like the publisher wasn't supportive in the right way. Difficult project because just at a certain point, everyone's realizing that like it will not be worth the effort it will take to like get this thing into proper right. shape. Uh, this is another eighteen months, and no one has that, and so, it's not going. It's not going to pay for it. It will never like it won't earn back further investment at this point. Um, I'm always like I'm I'm so curious about like what results in a project like this where where the designers are kind of like eh, you know it's <laughs> so we did I'm some really good stuff here and maybe you'll get something out of it but uh we're done with it and we know it has those issues we will probably not be fixing most of them yeah, well, I'm just curious what the, what the note what, in this tweet yeah. oh sorry please no I'm just always so curious what like gets someone to that point uh, like as a game, there, yeah. The, the, the story behind the story yeah. is like has to be fascinating. The note being the second tweet in the thread just says one thing I do feel the need to be open about is out of necessity. The same week the game was announced, most of us started other jobs, uh, and it sounds like basically they just did not have the uh, ability to develop the resources uh, to like distribute the resources that they needed to develop something like this, which mm-hmm. uh, it's tough. Yeah. Kata, you were saying? No, was, that was, that's what I was going to point out. It's kind of wild to think of starting development on a thing and then also having to immediately do other work in that way. Um, like a game development is already such a time-consuming thing. Like splitting your time between two projects feels like one of them is going to get hurt. <laughs> like ultimately, yeah. and it's like, was it just like there was, wasn't a good publisher deal in the works to like support them to like fully focus on one project like how yeah how do you end up in that specific situation so i actually think i actually think we may be uh conflating like this game was announced right before it came out so this game was announced okay yes that's the thing that's um, confusing me yes did he mean like i wanted like i I think we're talking about like i think it's easy to look at those tweets like oh when this game was announced in the way that most games are announced was like 
Oh, they're, three years ago. Right. They've been the moonlighting for two years around building Correct. this game. No, Instead this, is, I, I, this was like this a game was announced short. on February 14th. Yes. Um, ah, okay. And it's and the tweet here is, you know, pull out the ultimate royal heist, yada, yada. It's coming out PC on March 29th. And so I think a period in which there would be like in you'd imagine like intense polish getting this game over the finish, like trying to get into like a, a, a more uh, a polished state. Right. Like, they announce it and it sounds like it's announced because like this is what it's we it. got and it's coming. <laughs> right. It's coming out in a month and a half. And we've all started new jobs. And if you, you know, Ren, you just did this right. Like. When you start a new thing, you've got a lot of other things you're dealing with as a part of that, like onboarding and the idea that you'd also be finishing and polishing a video game to be uh, released in 2020, uh, 2022 is, uh, uh, yeah, it, ma- it makes it all of it make a little more uh, sense. And I think that, you know, uh, uh, only underscores Rob's um, interest and in like what well, what led them to the point where almost it sounds like the game was forced to be announced because... Like this, like this is it. Like there was, a, there was a meeting. Right. It's like this is it. Like now, when everyone do you, needs to. When do you call families? It, 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 it sounds. Game. Yeah, it, this is actually part of the the thing. I was Patrick. You're actually talking about the timeline here. The timeline mm-hmm. perfectly fits with what has been said previously about you know what Spectres, for example, said about immersive immersive sim game design. The game didn't work two months before release. And like this announced and then two months later or a month and a half later came out. And yeah, that fun, that foundational polish work that makes games like this actually function as, as systems interlocking did not get, did not get done. Uh, Robert, it looked like you had something. No, I just, I love the top reply here though. After these really open and clear uh, tweets from, uh, from Dan, <laughs> but will you be fixing anything with the game or will it remain a buggy mess? <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all the best for your future projects, but you can't leave stuff half cooked. Oh God. yes, they can. <laughs> like, There's also like, is that, dude, would you like to make a threat? Yeah. <laughs> there is a, I'd actually like to address one more of these tweets where people are like, this should never have been allowed to be released in this state. Quote unquote. <laughs> yes. it. Yes. It should have. Like, that's the thing is that like, part of this has to do with like the ways in which game design is talked about and the way in which like it is a completely mystified profession and like game development is, is often like heavily mystified uh, from, for ex for outsiders is that like fucking obviously this game is, is so close is, is inches away from being fucking phenomenal, but you cannot see any of that because of the actual structure of the like, how these things are made and and it's just also also like the inches can be a mile long right you know um uh and that's you know probably the case here and like i I understand people's fundamental that a lot most games a lot of games like this would come out in early access and then smooth that stuff out over the course of of a year and that's like a way that developers you know also finance the things like hey can you basically let's release it front some of the money so we can keep doing this release it in early access but obviously like there was a a different consideration i I think the industry you know the fact that they were honest about it you know it's not on the main twitter feed but like you know it's not like you got to dig very far to like to find all this stuff Mm -hmm. um and they didn't have to say that right and so it's like the fact that someone would like throw that back in their face after being like more transparent than you are even owed uh, in terms of like what's out here, I mean, Steam already has a refund policy. Like you can download it, fucking hate it, and get your money back like immediately, like without question. And so the notion that you're complaining about that on a platform that is the most generous in terms of like allowing people to essentially have a demo of of any game, um, 
is just sort of silly. But it also, it's why designers don't do this. Like, why do developers not talk about this part? Because then people throw it in their face if they're honest. And so what is the reward for being honest other than just for the sake of it? Yeah, and also, like, I don't know. It's 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 really frustrating. This additional information is, is so deeply frustrating to, like, have to then carry the weight of the public's response to what is effectively a project that was stillborn, but also a ton of people did a lot of work on and has made something super fucking interesting. And that like all of that work is still 100% worthy of being treated as labor and as being treated as worthwhile. Like the idea that like you can make 95% of an incredible game. And just because you don't have that last 5%, it means that the thing you've done is worthless is fucking well, it, mean, it means you then go to their steam page and it's like, you see there's like really, these really honest, earnest tweets about like the difficulty of making a game. And then it's like 26 reviews mostly negative and then it's just like, like ah mm, like the systems by which we use to judge the qualities of games i mean, I, I understand the usefulness of all that stuff but it's it's a bummer like especially for, for what you're saying right where it's like it seems to it, it dilutes the the usefulness of this exercise as an exercise down to uh 26 largely negative reviews though it's um, interesting how many of these negative reviews are still like man there's something yeah. like it's so close i know it's yeah. frustrating i can't yep. hate to say it but you can't you shouldn't buy it yeah and like that's uh, there was one that like really made me laugh um <laughs> so, okay so this comes from uh uh their name on steam is unskilled trash i don't know if this is just how they start all their reviews or not but 0.7 you know they put about uh 0.7 hours into the game not recommended the review starts with trash and this is abermore is a thieving game that just effectively stole my patience pros good idea cons not ready for release beautiful i i think that i actually i think when i play this game and when i think about writing about this game i think a lot about the piece released by harper j before they left kotaku called games criticism as a kindness uh, and the ways in which the critical lens, when applied to texts, right, can kind of divorce them from audience expectation and kind of look at them from a systems perspective. From like a critic's lens, if I look at this video, if I look at the video game Abermore, and I look at how the systems interact, and I look at how everything clicks together, and I look at that tarot card system where you only get three powers and you're switching them on the fly over the course of a run and like altering your deck, when I look at all of the systems of this game and the way that you can see the ghost of them clicking together, I cannot help but see something beautiful here. And the fact that that is like obscured by technical issues and by a culture around games that prioritizes um, that prioritizes polish over anything else is a huge bummer. And I like wish that there was more. And I wish that there was more. I think that like it, it is our job as people who talk about video games for a living to talk about games like Weird West and to talk about games like Abermore who are at their core, the ghost of something great. And that the work that has been done to make them that way is like, worthwhile and important and genuine and like has created something that even if it is not resonating for like the consumer tm is worth appraisal and and consideration as something really special and interesting and i think that in the glimmers of these steam reviews that are like ah oh, this game is great but you shouldn't buy it, it i am hopeful that that attitude will continue to persist until it gets to the point where people are going, ah, oh, this game isn't great, but it's so cool that you should buy it. 
uh, as like a larger cultural standpoint of like where games are less products to derive, you know, your the correct amount of joy from and more things to be dissected and looked at and engaged with like on their own terms. Uh, and so if there's any hope I have for Abermore and the people's response to it outside of these shitty fucking Twitter comments, uh, it is people's willingness to look at something interesting and go, ah, fuck, that was really cool. Um, and my hope for critics to do that same work. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be back uh, with the second half of the show. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're back. Uh, Patrick, tell the other extreme of video games in some ways. Uh, that symbol of everything the industry once aspired to be and, uh, you know, what what its, its view of itself and the type of experiences uh, it wanted to create. E3 was kind of that trade show and it appears to be no more. Uh, yeah. Can, what's so like, what's the state of E3? Is it is it undead? Is it is it in its in, is it entombed forever? Well, so the timeline of the timeline of the last couple of years, co you know, uh, COVID happens, you know, March 2020. Uh, at least that's kind of how you know sort of like began playing out for much of us in March 2020. And around that time is when a bunch of conventions started realizing that maybe things were going to be different. Like GDC was the first one that like we like saw uh, PAX East. Um, those like hit that March, April timeframe and uh, E3 like really put off canceling their physical in-person uh, showcase um, and eventually had to, did not really have a digital product like ready to go. There, there was a, a thing that happened that year. Last year they did a uh, fully, a digital uh, thing at um, uh, after wanting to do a physical thing, like ba we're backed into it again at that point, like Jeff Keeley's like summer's uh, showcase things like we're kind of in full swing. Um, and then this year preemptively, uh, despite early announcing that they were going to do a like physical digital hybrid event, um, they just uh, got ahead of it and said that they were just not doing anything entirely. Um, they tried to put this caveat that the, the organizers that the, the ESA that, they're oh we're we're canceling this year so we can be ready to go next year. Um, which just sounds like a way of for some people to keep their jobs before they cancel it um, uh, next year. And so uh, yeah, like it's E three that's like long running trade show, which was a byproduct of CES uh, from the nineties, which was a technology show out of Las Vegas. Um, I mean E three used to be called the Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's called E3 with none of those acronyms anymore, but it's just kept it because that's been the branding for uh, 20, 20 plus years. Uh, and I mean, E3 used to be 
the reason E3 existed was because video games weren't taken seriously despite being popular and all the game companies wanted to be under one roof in order to sort of like centralize mainstream coverage of the industry as an industry. I mean, it started as a retail event and then became sort of a retail marketing hybrid thing over time. Um, And then like where we're at now is a bunch of publishers realizing they have individual power. They don't need to be under like the E3 uh, branding. It's a confluence of Nintendo Directs, Jeff Keighley, a move from physical to digital in terms of just how people buy things. But uh, yeah, like it it ends in a place where um, rather than E3 getting some sort of like grand send off, if one was even possible, or even a send off that was felt like uh, it was being done with some sort of honor or dignity that like this is the end of the road. Instead, it just goes out with a weird whimper of a press release uh, that just reeks of desperation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I also can't help but feel, I wrote a piece on this, on the site that went up last Friday. Um, like E3 is the, the event that like kind of gave me a career. Cause it was, that's the place you went to. If you could go there, you could get a career or you could try and carve something out in the industry. Um, that has not been the case for many, many, many years. Um, but, uh, I think that's, that also explains it's kind of mythological status within, like even as fans talk about how E3 is disappointing year after year, the reason they gear up for it is because of that mythology that's been built around what E3 used to be and how important it was both to the industry and people who got to attend it. Um, and we're on the, uh, we're on the other end of that now. I mean, it's also kind of, I was thinking about like things that made E3 E3 and, and part of it is also just that like, there used to be so many projects in the games industry of dubious as now of dubious merit, right. Or, or of dubious seriousness, but like uh, it certainly the industry was served well by having sort of a massive uh, like big trend, a big tent uh, like trade show in part because there were the things that were like reliable draws, but also there's so many publishers, including major ones that had different projects they're trying to get eyes on. Uh, you know what I mean? The, it was, yeah. it was very much a show that was very much like a, here are all our wares and the people showing their wares would be major players uh, who you did know. And they were still trying, they still saw a lot of value in trying to break through that way. And then there were a lot of like smaller players uh, who desperately needed the exposure provided by like every the all major the big players yeah. being there. I mean like some of the most famous examples over the years of that are uh a guitar hero um yeah. which was a game made in conjunction with the peripheral manufacturer Red Octane. Um they did not have the original guitar hero prototype um did not have uh, a presence on the main show floor. It was in a place called Kensha Hall, which I'm sure you've heard plenty of jokes about if you have listened to probably specifically things like the, the bomb cast over the years. Like you went to Kensha hall. That was where like a lot of uh, like Asian peripheral makers um, like, ha- like that where the retail part of E3 continued on was in the lower levels in Kensha hall where you'd go down there and be like, wow, I didn't know you could make controllers out of this. And like, that's made Kensha hall like a very interesting curiosity. Eventually Kensha hall was paved over and became a parking lot for Kenti a garage. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I'm a garage at some point, but uh, I specifically remember the E3 where the guitar hero prototype was like, nobody had booked appointments for it. It was like a handful of people did it cause they knew someone and like, Oh, come check out this cool thing. And by the last day of E3, you were, you were 
had colleagues of yours telling you, see if you can head down there and go to talk to the desk to see if you can sneak in to like go see this game that like everyone is losing their minds over. And so you had this giant marketing event in which word of mouth was how interest of it was being spread like very organically and virally in the early days of uh, internet based video game coverage. Um, different versions of that even prior around the same time would be like, I remember um, one of the fun things would be like, you'd go to a booth and there would just be, you know, some game you've never heard of had never gotten any sort of announcement. And it's just there playable developers. Maybe are there, maybe aren't there. I remember like uh, the original Katamari was a mm-hmm. game just talked away in Namco's booth. And like, I remember various people telling me, ah, there's this game with this ball and you roll it. It's okay. It like, just, just go play it. It's like one of the coolest things I've seen. And it's one kiosk for one game that like, you're not even reliably sure if it's coming out in America. Um, and there it is. And like became like its ability to uh, have an audience gain traction, get fully localized is because, well, I don't know. GameSpot goes over and like puts a sticker on the booth that says, you know, a best of show, yada, yada, yada. Um, and like, that's a lot of what that show functioned on as from like a marketing standpoint before we had the ability to, you know, you could be, you know, even like an Abermore where like you can have a Twitter account and you can talk about what you're working on. Like, how did you get the word out on a game of that scale back then? Well, you hope you got noticed at an E3 booth um, and that GameSpot, you know, did did something about you. Like, I guess for me, the the thing that I... I know that E3, like, I understand there's a lot of different reasons to be nostalgic uh, for for a thing like this, but but I guess in some ways it feels like uh, the, the, the slow death of E3 has also indicated the degree to which, like, you just have so many... We've talked about this before, but, like, there there's so many fewer mid-sized publishers now. It feels like, actually, indie publishers are starting to step up increasingly mm-hmm. in that role of like creating games at that scale. There are fewer Uh, THQs, but there are more uh, Devolver, Humble, like folks, folks who are like, and like are getting bigger through like sheer mass of like smaller things. They're involved. Even Devolver is almost like, we think of it as an indie outfit, but like they published like Fall Guys, like made a lot of, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. even like our sense of what is indie or like what the scale of that has radically transformed and is like difficult to articulate sometimes. Right. And, and and so I, I think in some ways, like what I find it very easy to me n- nostalgic about when I think of these these trade shows was that idea of like you might just turn a corner and see something really weird and cool that just falling completely under the radar, that, that possibility of discovery. And I think what has been uh, kind of dismay might be the wrong word, but all the major publishers realize they can just do their own direct marketing. And they yeah. don't need a trade show like this. And they're not even making enough projects that they have to worry about, like, any sort of uh, breaking through with marketing because they, they're not creating, uh, you know, that many that many games uh, any, anymore. But they all, you know, even then, like, as E3 was dying, they all still kind of understood the value of, like, a center point for media attention. Like, I, like frankly, I've always thought what EA did, which is doing its own show, like, same week of across town was kind of like bullshit, right? Like it, it was, it was a really, like you're still part of E3. You were just, just didn't drafting want to pay the dues that came, like it was, it was a financial decision. It was like, right. they didn't want, like there's certain, like to participate in E3 required a financial equip, uh, uh, commitment, which is why publishers like Activision, EA started pulling out, but still doing things around E3 because they still recognize the gravity 
pull of the event. And, and if, if, you know, in the same way that, you know, for a long time, you know, game companies still wanted to do their reveals on like a Game Informer cover, Mm -hmm. not because Mm -hmm. it was the best thing, the best way to get your game noticed, but because they were just nostalgic for like, that's just what we've always done. And like E3 had a combination of that or like a a gravitational pull, but also just, well, that's how we've always done things here. Um, And so, yeah, like, but it was ultimately like a financial decision because they just didn't want to, they didn't want to pay to like pre-secure a booth before they knew what was going on um, in addition to, to other points. Right. And so I think a lot of like smaller projects end up with that with that, you know, familiar problem of discoverability, but also the fact that in a lot of cases, what's what's supplanted, uh, you know, playing the E3 lottery or the, the trade show lottery is in some ways like playing the YouTuber lottery um, <laughs> longer odds, maybe of like, yeah. hope this hope this blows up and somehow becomes uh, like a viral trend in the space. Or you're playing the the lottery of uh, maybe this will be the one that starts getting buzz uh, in like media circles. We'll start getting attention. But in the meantime, we're all working with the same 20 PR firms that generate a thousand pitches a day. Uh, and so even there, like it's it's not it's not like even the communications channels that uh, a lot of developers still have uh, that have supplanted things like this really work that well. Um, so like I I get nostalgic for E3 because like I, I miss the idea at least of like it was such a chance to see so many things you might uh, might not otherwise tune into um but if it's physically there in front of you like, yeah, sure I'll play I'll play this demo and maybe it would be fucking awesome um maybe it would be a promising beginning and then you would realize like oh wait that was they released that two months later I thought that was like an alpha oh shit okay um but I I enjoy both those experiences yeah. Um, and yeah. And it, like I, most of my nostalgia is born le- less out of what the event is or even what it was and more just my own personal history, because like that was just my entryway to the industry itself, which is just yeah. not, you know, not not the way that most folks come come through anymore because it's not it's not relevant to that degree. But uh, it was it was for me at that age where it's just like, ah, OK, well, if you show up here, you're going to meet the right people. You meet these right people like doors will open for you later. Um and that was that was definitely that was which 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 one did you go to first, Rob? Oh gosh, because uh, I was I was late in Atlanta, but I, I'm I'm an outlier, being a 14 year old weirdo that managed to convince their parents to to go to go there with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think my first E3 might have been like a year or two before uh, the th- like before the reveal of the Xbox One and the PS4. Okay. Uh, so like whatever that was, like two years before that, I think I started going to E three. Okay. Yeah. I will um, say it was I was shocked how grueling it was. I was like, oh <laughs> shit. It's like endless. Uh the amount of like walking and like Yeah, I think about the amount of work I used to do at the show relative to like where I ended up. Um like the in many ways, like the ways we operated things like Waypoint were a direct response to not wanting to like just spend all day at E three and then go right six 500 word previews and then also go to dinner and then like also go out networking until one in the morning and then you get up and just do the whole thing all over again not great instead just podcast for seven hours straight that's yeah. better yeah yeah <laughs> learn no <laughs> lessons actually just turned it into my but you know what it is so much easier to bullshit into a microphone than it is to bullshit 500 words 
multiple times over about a game that this you don't really true. want to talk about. This like those 100% are hundred percent true. Th- those are so much like, yes, it may sound like the, the joke here is like, uh, you just like transferred it to a different medium. I did. I transferred it to a much easier medium to bullshit. <laughs> and, and a medium where it makes sense too. Like, yes, I think the, the self-contained like 500 words on a game that you're like, the GameSpot IG on model like, of like, we need to cover everything that's here and have words associated with it in a pre SEO era where it's not even, you're doing that to blanket a search engine. You're just doing it because we're an index of everything that's happening. And that's how mm-hmm. we maximize, um, you know, p- people coming to our website. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I think we're like, did like previous like Sims expansion packs. Like, what am I doing that for? Because that's what, that's what, you know, whatever web game spy would pay me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, if I went there, I, uh, I once went to a one C event where I had to write up a thing on every single thing coming out in the one <laughs> C catalog. And, you know, with anything about one C, you know that that ranged a fucking like it was a wide fucking gamut of <laughs> of projects, and so it was like games you knew would never like come out. It was games that were just look terrible. But each one of them, it's like okay, uh, here's another intro about like what's the what's the quick pitch for this? Um, yeah, just just absolutely uh, like intellectually exhausting work because it's like yeah, I can't think of a reason why you'd be interested uh, in this. Like, like oh, I'm just re- I'm basically just rewriting press releases and adding like a hundred words of my own observations, which really are just observations over a prepackaged demo, which might as well be a press release. Oh yeah. no, I've wasted so much time doing this in my career. My life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Patrick, before we uh before we move on though, what have you been playing uh lately in addition to like having E3 fe- feelings as it as it goes mm. it goes under uh, what have you been into uh, in terms of like stuff you're actually playing? Uh, yeah, two kind of quick things. Um, one, I I beat Ghostwire Tokyo. I don't have a great explanation for it um, other than... Wait, what? What do you mean you don't need... You need a great explanation for beating Ghostwire well, Tokyo? yeah, because I don't think it's very good. It's like a okay. six out of ten. But it, I... And I can't even sit here and fully articulate it. But I'm sure like all of us have certain games that... I don't know. Like you just have a draw towards like, you know, you know, it's not the best use of your time, but I just, I don't know. Like I found enough of the world and gameplay compelling, even as I tell myself, this is pretty, this is pretty not good. Um, this, <laughs> this could have been done a lot better. It, one thing I didn't do to Ghostwire Tokyo is I managed to find upgrades that uh, compensated for deficiencies in like the base design, which like for one of those is that exploring the world is very slow and the game has verticality, but exploring that verticality is uh, a huge pain in the ass. But if you spend like two hours grinding skill points to like be able to dump that into this this upgrade that the game really doesn't want to give you unless you're like, Dan, you really want this power? And I was like, yes, I do. And that power is in the game. There are these um, yokai, these ghosts scattered uh, up on the tops of buildings. And if you look at them, you can grapple to them. And this one power says, you know, what if you could just summon those at will and just have them uh, yourself? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Because what it meant was that I could get up to buildings, navigate to and from buildings from the ver- from after being very high up. It just made exploring the, 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 the Tokyo they'd set up like much more interesting. Um, and it's like this should have just been in the game from the start as like a cool down. Like, it, like oh, I... Um, you know, the other is uh, <laughs> like a lot of what you're doing in this game is after you defeat certain enemies or do certain objectives or like ghosts that you kind of like, uh, you know, I forget the exact like terminology, but like, you know, there's the belief um, uh, that like 
there are certain types of paper that can be imbued with a spirit. And like you have, you have those pieces of paper in Ghostwire Tokyo um, that uh, you can then like turn in to return these spirits that have been captured by the, the bad guy in the game that becomes experience points. Um, but like it takes like mm, three, four seconds for you to like go through the cycle, like sucking those ghosts into the paper. And one of the upgrades is, would you like that to go faster? Which is almost like the game acknowledging <laughs> we've artificially made this slow to annoy the fuck out of you. Yeah. Would you like to spend precious skill points making that instantaneous? And I said, yes. Um, and so once I kind of did all these things, I, I managed to get the game to a place that like I, I wish the base level version of this game was closer to this. Like it's a game that I wanted to be faster. It's a game that I wanted to have a little more dynamic uh, elements to the combat and movement. Um, and it doesn't fully get there, but I got it to a place where then I can enjoy the story for what it was. And I actually think by the end, um, like it has a pretty interesting uh, story about like death and, you know, what does it mean to say uh, like, how do we sort of like grieve and think about, um, people in the afterlife and like it was I found it like kind of charming and interesting uh, it was just like I had to do a lot of work to shape the game to get there which is bad but if um, this game they ever showed up like on a game pass it would be like perfect for that sort, sort of thing uh, but but as it stands it's it was more kind of like what um, Ren was saying earlier I think there there is joy in playing mediocre games to understand why they are mediocre and like how a game arrives at that that doesn't mean that normal people should spend there spend 12 hours discovering but i think especially like critics and like writers like it is worth going through the process of playing games that are fundamentally flawed and being able to articulate like why are they do or don't work um and i found like ghostwire tokyo for a studio that i quite like what they're doing um to be like worthy of that that endeavor um and uh so yeah i would i would i the recommendation comes with some caveats but um I still found the experience to be pretty, pretty enjoyable. Um, and then now that I speak of it, I was going to talk about the end of Tunic, but like, I'm so close to the end. I'll just wait. And we'll do it on Thursday. But uh, I have some issues with the end of what otherwise is probably one of my favorite games of the year. But uh, Tunic, Tunic remains extremely good. But we'll, we'll check, we'll check in later when I actually see the, the end. I feel like this thing that you're describing that Ghostwire did is one of my biggest pet peeves in like games these days is like where you can see they designed something really fun and then through chopped, whatever decisions it chopped it yeah. down. And it's like, yeah. this could have been a great game from the beginning, but progression or whatever decision made you make it feel worse at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, dude, like the Which ghost sucking thing, like being one of those, yeah. is just like, come on, man. Like, like this you just purposely me. made your game worse. Like this isn't gating. It's not a skill check or like, Hey, we want the player to spend this amount of time right. using these powers before they, spoke in a different direction it's like no like look should should these ghosts be sucked up instantaneously with like one button press yeah yes there should be no <laughs> waiting involved but like what if by the end of the game you've spent probably close to an hour watching a bar fill um putting these ghosts on on, on this paper like it's just deeply deeply frustrating i mean you read enough about that project it sounds like it was pretty troubled and actually uh had a lot of difficulties it was largely what the production was during COVID. And it seems like that had a profound impact on the design, you know? Um, and it's, it's too bad. Cause you, yeah, you, you, in the same way that the evil within, I don't think that game is very good. Do I think, <laughs> do I think the evil one, evil within two, like learns hard lessons from that. And then is one of the most interesting survival horror games of the last 10 years. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> 
unfortunately, I don't think Ghostwire Tokyo will probably do well enough to like get that sequel. I, I hope. I would love to play a, a second one of these because I think there's enough here that could do something really special a second time around. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you should just play Evil Within 2. Like, if I just get 10 right. more people to play that game... <laughs> Look, all, just make it, it a one on one and then we all have to play it. Uh, well Rob <laughs> played a decent chunk of that game. That's right? true. Well, That's yeah. true. Yeah. You drink a lot of coffee in that game. That's how you get your health back at the check. Loved it. Is one or two the one where you get the goop? The goop? Yeah. There's like a pickup. It was like a I forget what it was. You were slurping goop at some point during a stream. I'm trying to remember which one of those it was. It probably it was I don't know if I streamed Evil Within 2. Did I? This is where we, yeah, this yeah. Is where we remember it. Like, Kyle just invented. No! Like, a There's a fucking... We have an emote in the Discord goop. that is the goop, and I'm pretty sure it's about Evil Within. Mm. Oh, you might be right about that. <laughs> I don't think I streamed a ton of it, though. No, I, I think remember. it was like one one or yeah. two, maybe, streams. But... Yeah. Good game. Goop. 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 Um, all right, well, before we go... We can, okay, real quick though. Look, weird, kind of not like universally recommendable games. They're not like normal people can enjoy those too. If you're a normal person, maybe you're a normal person mm-hmm. who like, you know, got normal taste, but like you just want to feel something. You want to play a game that's like a little weird and you can like scrape your brain against it Are in interesting ways. Joker? What's happening? <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> twisted. What, what if, game, what what if gaming was a little twisted? Do you want, do you want to? Do you want to welcome welcome to my mind palace? My name's I Rob. I feel Zachary. like a little bit shitty welcome, while playing a game. Welcome but to my f- stimulated by the potential of what it could have yeah. been. Welcome you know, to my fine. fucked up that's little fine. world. It's me, Rob Zachney. Welcome to my palace of strange devices. <laughs> well, hold on. I just I'm just saying you do not need to be you do not need to be a critic to be like you know what I will try Abermore. I'm, I know my eyes are open to what I'm getting into. There are tons of people who are like, you know what I love? Straymon Studio games. I don't know why anyone would like. Yeah, exactly. I think Renata they're bad Price. games. Well, Renata Price. Well, I think the, Price I think is the name Cyberman of this person. Bad. But I understand people love it. And like, like you think Cybermancy is bad. I hate it. That's fine. But the thing is, like, but I can also say, but it's also really interesting. Like, I didn't enjoy playing it, but it's like, wow, there's a lot of ideas being chucked haphazardly well, I, into okay, this I thing. Be clear. I don't even know that Ghostwire Tokyo is hitting what you are describing here. I think Abermore is, right? I think Abermore right. is, like, operating at a higher level of interesting, and you're dragging yourself across some of, like, the polished nails, like, to, to get there. I don't know that Ghostwire <laughs> Tokyo is quite that. Like, like, this was more like the polished nails. We've all have our profoundly mediocre experiences that we don't want to justify, but we do them anyway. Like, I don't come out the end of Ghost for Tokyo being like, I've been intellectually enlightened by this experience. I was like, nah, it was fine. If it was anything, I don't know, it's like watching the, you know, some Netflix show, like, nah, yeah. that's not very good. Uh, but even that's like good trash. That's not what this is. I don't know. I just got to the end of it. And I just then I had it. I had to explain it and justify it on a podcast for ten minutes. And that's I think it's different than Abermore. I think Abermore like there's more to talk about in that in that game than in Ghostwire Tokyo. I will note that there is actually a very excellent uh, Jacob Geller video about this about this exact situation about like the the utility of of writing. And like I think the interesting Patrick is like what you were saying about Ghostwire that you left it without anything and you're like eh, you know that is like the 
for so many people, that is most games they interact with sure. or a lot of games they interact with. And like the function, even if it's even if even if Ghostwire was not that game for you, there is such a real possibility that in like a month or whatever, someone will release a piece that will make that that will reshape your idea of that game in your head and it will get stuck in your fucking craw, even if your initial experience was was dog shit and or or deeply mediocre and like yeah i don't have the language to explain like Like, there is clearly something that got me like i don't have that much time right and so i still like i put aside elden ring like i I went and i finished this game off and a part of it is i like finishing things that i start like once i start like i do like to see it to the end and um that is like a like it's a problem like i have to like tell myself to put things down like that that it's okay to not finish them but that's not what happened here and so like i am waiting for that piece to like i just couldn't do it i can't articulate it it's not there hopefully someone else could do it for me that i could point to and be like oh that's why i did that for 12 hours <laughs> yeah no i'm ugh. listen video games are great mm-hmm. uh let's dip into the question bucket before we Ooh. call it a day here there been a couple that did i miss something about pizza making here or is this just related to our pizza conversation? We talked about pizza stones. Yeah. Uh, at, a, at some point, this was a ta- yes. This was a tangent off of the um, okay. Um, the the the, the uh, northeastern Ohio pizza chain <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yes. So there's a couple people writing in and like pizza stone thoughts, and I'm I'm just mm-hmm. this intrigues me the way it's phrased. This, this phrasing intrigues me from Ian. People have mentioned it already, but it sounds like the solution to David's cracked pizza stone conundrum is maybe ordering a pizza steal. The (laughs) meta around internet pizza making changed a few years ago. When someone this is Ren, this is exactly why I was like, what? I must, I must know. When someone realized you could essentially chop the sides off a cast iron pan and you get a pizza steel which holds heat longer and puts it out faster, meaning it should stick less. It should stick less and crisp up and blister your base nicely. The main benefit, though, is that they don't break. Pizza stones can easily be broken in transit, like the unfortunate David found out, but mm-hmm. also through temperature shock if not treated properly. Yes. You hear horror stories of people preheating pizza stones in the oven on high and then putting a frozen pizza on it, causing it to violently explode. <laughs> Hope this helps any other lowly pizza tarnished out in the wilds. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just got really I we've gone this story. Sorry, this this podcast without any tangential stories. Can I talk about thermal expansion for one minute? Yes. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was doing a, a science fair project. Um, was looking at the generation of bismuth crystals. Uh, bismuth is a it's a really pretty metal that basically forms in these like really gorgeous geometric patterns with some really really incredible uh, coloration to it it's absolutely gorgeous Mm -hmm. it is also a heavy metal right after lead uh, and so it is slightly toxic to people thermite is produced by combining aluminum with a certain set of basically aluminum shavings with a certain kind of oxide um, mm-hmm. You can make it a ton of different ways. There's a ton of different oxides, the most common of which is iron oxide. Iron oxide and aluminum, mix them together, heat them up. You will make thermite. It'll melt through anything, right? So I was in a science fair using a hot plate to melt a pot, an aluminum pot full of bismuth because the melting point of bismuth is extremely low. It's about 400 degrees um, Fahrenheit. Uh, and so we were melting this. Uh, and then I go to walk away 
from the, from the hot plate, which is a cer- aluminum ceramic hot plate, which is designed to be the subject of thermal shock, right? That's why it's a hot plate. It's designed to handle thermal shock. So I walk away, and then I hear a crash behind me and turn to see chunks of aluminum ceramic flying across the room. And I turned to my science teacher. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And she was like, I don't know. I later was like, did some Googling. One of the things that can produce thermite is bismuth trioxide. Bismuth trioxide is the oxidized form of bismuth that creates the coloration of the crystals. What had happened was a little bit of bismuth trioxide had gotten onto the aluminum ceramic hot plate, and it was enough to just barely react, and the basically the ignition was hot enough because the thermite reaction happened. It was just one little spot that was like basically too small to see, but there was an ignition point where the thermite lit, and that like 2,000 degree jump was enough enough to thermal shock the aluminum ceramic and basically detonate it in the middle of this fucking science fair room. It was one of the oddest things that has ever happened uh, to me. Um, that was my that was my quick thermal expansion story, and why I was reacted with horror at the idea of a pizza stone obliterating itself when you put a pizza on it because I know a how violent, pizza. yeah, a frozen pizza on it because I know how violent thermal expansion can be. Which what are you doing so, at that point? Pardon? Like, why are you putting a frozen pizza on a pizza stone? My this, guess is you've forgotten it's in there. The, like so, the thing like. like, like so my pizza stone, like, so my oven keeps such poor temperature uh-huh. that there's two pizza stones that just live in there to, hmm. like, hold temperature. Oh. Because otherwise, like, I actually don't know what temperature is going on in there, right? Mm. So, like, but but that also means that, like, if you're going to keep them in there, whatever you're putting in, if it's cold, has to go on the wire rack off the pizza stones, not directly on them. But, yeah, if you're just like, oh, yeah, chunk, in it goes. <laughs> Uh, and then next thing you, you, you have, you have a, have an explosion. Uh, I've cracked a couple pizza stones, uh, for sure. They also just like, sometimes they just crack still right. usable to get a big fracture in them. If you are mostly using them for like temperature keeping, if you're mm-hmm. putting stuff directly on them, that's a different, that's, that's a right. different thing. Then you gotta um, get a new one. Yeah. Oh, you can get one of these steels. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. So, was that cast iron though? So like I would need a cast iron like sheet. Basically, to cook it's it up. It's a lot of weight to throw around. Yeah. Yeah, That's you know. Fine. Yeah. yeah um, you're, you're, a, you're a strong Zachney. No, but also <laughs> the whole thing, like, okay, so the thing about, like, stuff won't stick. Cast iron is, like, kind of one or the other. Either stuff doesn't stick magically to the cast iron, or it sticks incredibly to the cast yeah. iron, and you are beyond fucked. Yeah. Because I can't imagine anything worse than now. I've got a big cookie sheet sized thing of cast iron. And a pizza I desperately need to detach from the cooking surface. And God. like, it's just not releasing. Uh, that right there is is my vision of uh, of pizza hell. Um, at least home pizza, home pizza hell. Um, we also got a very good, we got a number of good emails about keycap sets. Uh, mm. But wait, this Ooh. isn't the same Ian, is it? No, it isn't. It's different Ian. Wow. The Ians are killing it. Uh, this this week in in the question bucket. Thank you, Ian's. Uh, Ian uh, writes. 
Long time listening, first time I think writing, and this is a doozy. Apologies in advance for the wall of text that is almost exclusively for Robin Wren. I'm not going to read the whole wall of text, don't worry. Uh, But (laughs) y'all have been talking about keyboard stuff on the pod recently, and there was some question as to how much hiragana legends and sublegends on keycaps are just weeb shit. I'm here to say that it's like 99% just weeb shit designed by people who have no interest in co-designing keycap sets with members of the Japanese uh, keyboard community. Most of the relevant keycap sets, in particular GMK-made sets, but also DSA, SA sets produced by Signature Plastics, are produced by Western English-centric keyboard community and are designed by people from the West to be manufactured by a Western manufacturer, GMK or Signature Plastics in Germany and Washington, USA, respectively, and sold, usually through group buy, by vendors who exclusively sell to people in the West. Pretty much anything that gets produced and sold through Drop Mass Drop, which is where I bought those fucking samurai keycaps, key <laughs> due to their policy of insisting on being the only vendor for the keycap sets they produce. I didn't know that. That's kind of that's a bit that's a hell of a sales term. Only vendor for the keycap sets they produce. Barely, uh, they barely have availability in Europe. Uh, shoutouts RP to the members of the Waypoint Discord outside of the US who want to get keycap sets in the drop owned MT3 profile, let alone in Asia or elsewhere. So, the most charitable read for sets like GMK Red Samurai, noted on the pod, designed by Red Sons, or GMK Laser, extremely popular, very William Gibson, I am envisioning the future as dominated by Japanese industry, cyberpunk influence set, designed by a Brazilian designer who goes by Me Too is that they might potentially be attractive and usable for Japanese diasporans as a secondary audience, but are primarily for the target audience of Japan's cool, uh, of Japan's cool Japan initiative. Uh, people in Japan trying to get the sets produced and sold through drop tend to have to use proxies to get those sets and do, but it'd be pretty tough to claim that any of these things are produced for the Japanese keyboard community. Um, that was like... I didn't realize that like drop had such a my way or the highway <laughs> approach to to sales. Yeah, basically, that's kind of what happens when you have a hyper enthusiast market, which is what the keyboard like keyboards are. And you have like emerging centralization within that hyper enthusiast market is that you get like especially with like drops uh, profile because the MT3 profile is, I believe, owned exclusively by drop. Uh, and so there are there are keycap profiles that are similar to it um, that are open source, but like there is to some degree like uh, an amount of corporatization going on mm-hmm. um, in the space. Uh, but yeah, no, it's um, uh, a messy bummer. Yeah, um, that the industry is kind of organized like this. Uh, it's the both the the benefit and immediate consequence of intensity centralization. Uh, is the regionalization of uh, these different brands and like even aesthetics um, and the ways in which like that can link to certain cultural perspectives around like what is and isn't cool and like ooh boy is the orientalism as this person says extremely yeah. bad extremely bad uh, Ian also notes Japan has one of the only physical location keyboard indis- keyboard hobby stores I know about Yusha Kobo. Uh, may we all be able to walk down to the keyboard store of our dreams one day. And they have this Instagram. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, I would love to look at this. Yeah. It's like not the 
you know, it's it's not oh, as really the endless variety that like drop promises, but like it looks pretty cool. Like all the stuff looks really neat. Mm, also, really the idea neat. of going down to the keyboard store, man. Yeah, there'd been a keyboard store in Brooklyn. Things would have been <laughs> real different. The God, fucking imagine that future. Imagine that future. Oh, oh, there God. it is. This is such a cooler version of like. I don't know, individual stores fucking rule. And I, I love the version of, because I actually went to, a, over the weekend, I went to like a camera specialty shop mm-hmm. uh, in Brooklyn that is like caters to um, uh, vintage cameras and um, specifically like Polaroids and and film cameras uh, that was super fucking sick. And I walked in there, I was like, this is such a better version of what stores look like and are. Because <laughs> it was just like seven people in a room picking up objects and being like, pretty cool, right? And other people being <laughs> like, yeah, that is pretty cool. Is that 18 different kinds of film in the corner? And the answer was yes. Um, and it was just like sick as shit. Um, individually owned hobbyist spaces generally rule. Um, and are actually a very good place to find community. Um, shouts out. Um, by the way, Ren, I wasn't going to read this one, but your discussion of accidentally, uh, having a dangerous chemical reaction in class does, uh, bring this one to mind from, uh, (laughs) Josh, the Piltdown man, Garner. Look, that's how Josh signed it. So I'm going to put that handle out there. The, the Piltdown man. Okay. What's that mean? It's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, basically it's a particular archeological, I believe it is the first, it's one of the first, it's like a well, it's a very well preserved, um, Oh, the Piltdown Man. Body. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Yes, that one was actually those. totally like fake. a recovered, uh, like a recovered specimen. Yeah, it was, it was a recovered specimen, but it was also fake. Uh, ah. basically they, they, someone tried to, uh, be like this is the it's it's a missing link style thing like mm-hmm. this is a different branch of human evolution right here is what it looks like uh it was actually just made up of skull fragments and like was 100 percent a hoax not one of those legit things that we haul out of a bog now and then <laughs> yes. uh all right so josh writes in the latest episode ren asked patrick and Cotto if they had any crazy professor stories uh while i wasn't asked it made me think about one of my favorite professors from undergrad I'm not sure how this goes for mentioning names, so I'll link to his IMDb page at the end and you can decide. I don't think we want to use the, use this name, uh, so we'll leave it aside. I had this professor for Physics 1 and 2, and he's one of the better professors I had at making things understandable. This was back in the days before DVR and streaming had really entered our lives, probably 2000, 2001. So my roommates and I had the TV going in the background. One of us was just flipping through the channels and landed on some sort of UFO show on the Discovery Channel. As we're watching, who pops up but our physics professor, my roommate was in the same class. We immediately got more interest in the program, and I suppose if I wanted to make the story more interesting, I'd say we were working on physics homework, but I can't really remember. The next day in class, we mentioned to him that we saw him on TV, and he asked us which program it was. I don't think we remembered which alien program it was, but he let us know that he'd been on a few different ones. He also let us know that he would write reports for NASA that he didn't have the clearance to read. It was added. It kind of added to how fun he was to learn from. In an unrelated and separate occasion, he also nearly electrocuted himself in front of our class. He was doing a demonstration on the energy stored in a capacitor. Uh, To do this demonstration, he charged up a one-farad capacitor, which is about the size of a large energy energy drink can, uh uh-oh, 
then shorted it oh, with a screwdriver. A really big, that's a really yeah. big capacitor. As someone yep. who's blown up a capacitor before in an engineering context, that's a really big capacitor. That's, a, that's an <laughs> alarming size. He then shorted it with a screwdriver, which if you've ever seen such a demonstration is quite impressive. After doing this, he decided to see if the cap would hold a charge so he could do it again. He grabbed one lead from his uh, DC power supply, then the other. His body convulsed. Then he was able to drop the leads. The classroom was deathly <laughs> quiet. After a moment, he started laughing, let us, letting us know he was okay and we could chuckle too. Then he proceeds to say in a somewhat joking voice, I could have died there. Anyway, that's just a story about one of my more memorable professors. <laughs> that's great. Oh, um, a good weirdo in an engineering or physics program is, is one of the most fascinating people you will ever meet in your entire <laughs> life. I fuck. I, I love, I love good weirdos so yeah. much. This is, this is delightful. Um, I remember one of my science teachers talking about like the school wouldn't let him show these videos, but he found like a series of educational, like physics videos that were like, he was like, I don't know what these guys are doing, but they're like all underground gorilla, like physics, like in like videos. Um, and one of them was just like, hey, you want to see what happens when a giant like <laughs> a giant like meter sized cube of sodium gets dropped into the water in the bottom of a quarry? <laughs> um, and so it's like them like trespassing into a quarry and like unloading uh, a huge thing of sodium from their car and like taking the coverings off it and hurling it into the into the quarry and then basically blowing up the quarry pond this uh, is the bottom this is every oh single God. fucking weird engineering <laughs> yep. i had an engineering te teacher in high school who this is the exact shit that he would do like down to a t uh and and just it's it's always fun to encounter just a big that was uh the person who i believe when i previous episode of the podcast i described as me falling asleep in his class and him wrapping me in his big uh fur-lined denim jacket uh, and so I woke up and he said, you looked cold. Uh, just the sweetest man I've I've ever fucking met. A massive weirdo uh, who played rugby in college just in the U.S. and blew a ton of shit up for fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, it would help us blow shit up for fun. We can, in we class. can all be so fortunate to, to know ourselves that well. Um. So that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint and Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick. Uh, at Patrick Lubbock. Ren. You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Uh, you can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this past week, as Patrick mentioned, uh, he wrote a story about the end of E3 and the relationship uh, he and his dad had around it at the start of his career. Uh, Cam also wrote an essay on Norco, uh, which is which is well worth reading, and we'll be discussing that game uh, more, I think, in the in the coming week. We've also been streaming a whole bunch thanks to Waypoint Plus. Uh, thanks to the folks uh, who've signed up at waypointplus.com. Uh, lately, we've been streaming Midnight Ghost Hunt, uh, which was an odd little stream on Friday. I do not think we were good at it. Um, <laughs> it was it was a it was a more competitive prop hunt uh, in in some ways, and it, we we struggled mightily. 
Uh, we got into a game with some ringers and it went real poorly. Uh, this week, Patrick and I are taking another dip into Weird West, and then Ren and I are going to play some Halo Wars to deepen our appreciation of the Halo TV series. I would um, like to. I yeah. would like to. Kato, mm. you can you can leave this here or put it at the beginning of the pod. I don't care. I would like to make a public apology. I'd like to make a public apology for misremembering some lore details uh, from <laughs> from Halo. Uh, specifically, I was wrong about the assault rifle caliber. You're the, you know what, folks? That's a really good point. It is just standard NATO caliber rounds, and I apologize uh, thoroughly uh, with all of my heart for having misremembered the specific rifle caliber. Well, hold on. The more operative point was that the propellant, the velocity was different. Um, is that hold true? I, uh, yeah. now I have no trust Because we were trying to answer the question of why do Master Chief's bullet throwers work and everyone else's <laughs> don't? Like, goes back to the games. Why do you need this expensive man in the big suit if you can just shoot him? He's just shooting them. So these are questions we need the answer to. These are questions we need the answer to, and I would like to publicly apologize for my slight misremembering of some lore details. Um, Maybe Halo Wars will, will have a deep explanation of this. Maybe there'll be a well, level where the it's man, like, you have... The- the man with the suit has a shield. The suit's so big because it got to make oh, a the shield. Sh- the shield, <laughs> yes, the shield helps. But let's let's be real. Like, you know, it buys you a few seconds where you get perforated. Um, yeah. But still, like, I, I would like to know why why can nobody get a handle on the covenant until the man in the suit shows up? Um, that's a that's a that's a major question mark for me. Uh, anyway, if all of that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Uh, not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, for now, we are calling time on this Tuesday's show. Uh, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Back to the pod mines. Tink, 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 tink. That's the sound of me chipping away at the tink, rocks tink, in the tink, walls. Tink, 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 but also it's poorly laid out. So it's really easy to accidentally convert ingots back into ore, which I don't know why you do, but you can, it's like now you want to, you, you know, that thing you just smelted. Yeah. Do you want to unsmelt it? And then you're like, what? 
and then it's like, all right, it's now pieces again, except less pieces than you started with. Fuck no, how do you unsalt? No. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Forged in Fire. I don't think I've ever seen you someone add, you add, add rocks. You add rocks. You know, just some ashes yep. into there. Oh, uh, just get some other. <laughs> now put more shit back in it. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs>